Good morning. How are we all doing this morning? One good, two good. All righty. Good deal. Good. Thanks for having a seat. Um, if you would, go ahead and start uh, thumbing through or scrolling, however you do that, to get to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. We're going to be uh, returning to our in-depth look at it for this third and final Sunday. And it is, of course, a part of our elder-led sermon series that we're doing here, a, a, a new look into the Old Testament. And um, so next week, Pastor Ryan is going to be preaching to us and he's going to give us a, a look at the story of David and Goliath. And so I'm looking forward to that as we, uh, we move on from, from talking animals and uh, giant man, man-swallowing fish to giants. Yes, yes, it'll be good. But yes, yeah, so the past few Sundays, as you're turning to Jonah chapter four, um, we've been drawing our attention towards knowing who God is, knowing uh, what he cares about, what kind of God do we believe in, do we devote ourselves to, and today's not gonna be any different than that. Um, but as we look uh, to Jonah chapter four, we can see that it all begins to culminate into one point, one message really, and uh, after that, we're left with figuring out what do we do in response. Um, so in reading through Jonah, how are we going to go about doing what we're called to do, right? So that's what we're looking at today. So when I was in high school, uh, this is a little bit ago, um, my younger years, uh, a friend of mine, we both, uh, both believed in Christ, both committed Christians. Uh, we decided to start a Bible study in our school, and so we would meet before school. We would actually come early to school. I know, a bunch of nerds, right? But we would meet in one of the hallways, and, and we would uh, kind of hold a Bible study. And, and, you know, we'd have some friends of ours, some acquaintances, some of those that went to his church, some that went to my church, and we met there, and uh, we would have a Bible study. And it was all, all good and, and stuff. And, uh, but there was a group, uh, some people, uh, they were professing Wiccans who didn't like what we were doing. Um, maybe a better way to say it is that they, not so much they didn't like what they were doing, but they wanted to just get a rise out of us. They wanted to antagonize us. And so they started saying that they were going to meet on the other end of the hallway and, and have, a, have a meeting there. And, and of course, I'm like, okay, go for it. <laughs> you know, I think they were wanting to, to, to get us to get upset and worked up. But what they didn't count on was I'm extremely competitive, and uh, my friend and I, we just, we just had been looking at and, and reading through the account where uh, Elijah's on the, the, the mountain and he's having the showdown with the prophets of Baal, right? <laughs> so let's do it. All right. So we actually invited them to come meet us after school in the parking lot and we were going to have a showdown. The contest was going to be to see who could lift a car. And it was me and my buddy, and it was them. And they were going to do, do whatever they needed to do in order to lift the car. And we were going to pray to our God, and we were going to lift the car, and we were going to see who's real, right? Who's real? They never showed. We tried, we tried to lift the car anyways. But you know what? 
thinking back on that later on, I, I think I can kind of hear the same words that God gives to Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? God didn't need me to stand up for him. God didn't need me to try to protect his name, to try to make it known that he is God in that moment. He didn't need me to make a showdown. I think that's evidenced by the fact that nobody showed up. But so, what we think about God, how we picture God, it changes and affects us on on what we do for him, on how we think we need to respond, on what we need to do, and what our calling is. So let's jump back into Jonah with both feet into chapter 4, starting with verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and it made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Boy, that last line really lands, doesn't it? Like God's the originator of the mic drop on that one. But as I said, we're looking at this, we're coming into chapter four, there really is only one point in all of Jonah that's being driven here. And it's that what we believe in God, that God is a God of merciful, he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. This is really the only thing we learn about God from the book of Jonah. And the only one point to saturate our minds with is that our God is a God of unrelenting love. Our God is a God of unrelenting love. See, the reason why I say this is the only point of making is because here in chapter four, Jonah goes back to the beginning. He says, this is why I fled 
This is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. This is why I was running away from Tarshish, because I knew that you were a God of mercy. I knew that you were a God of love. I knew that you would relent, and I didn't want to be a part of it. So Jonah goes back to the beginning, and we can see all throughout that this is what the issue that Jonah had was. I like what we're doing with our sermon series, our elder-led sermon series here of looking back at the Old Testament. There's an aspect of, of the Old Testament that is, is contemplative in nature, that we return to it over and over. And we let it, we soak in it. We let it speak to us. We let it change us. We let it confront our perceptions. We let it alter what we think. And we come back to it over and over and over. And so here, even with Jonah, as as we read through it and as we've been going through it together, I'm sure for many of you, this is not the first time that you've read Jonah or looked at Jonah. But as we look into it and we we saturate ourselves in it and, and further on down, down the years, as you come back to it, you'll read it again and you'll contemplate and you'll come back and you'll start that very first verse again. In chapter one, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We'll know that when we read that, we'll know that's because Jonah knows God is a God of mercy, and he doesn't want to be a part of it. And so as we go through it, the whole thing, we see it again and again and again. God's mercy shows up. The sailors are caught in the storm. And they don't know what to do. Their only option they're given, they, they, they don't want to be a part of that either. Casting someone off, sentencing them to death just because a storm rose up. It doesn't make sense. But it's the only option they got. In a hope and a prayer, they chuck Jonah overboard and God's mercy shows up, and God relents from disaster, and he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. A God's engulfing presence of mercy follows in the wake of Jonah's fleeing. And then Jonah's being tossed by the waves, and they're crashing against him, and he's being taken down to the bottom And as his life is ebbing away from him in a hope and a prayer, he wants to see God again. And God shows up. And God brings mercy. Our God is a God of steadfast love, of unrelenting love. And then the Ninevites, Jonah's preaching to them, and they hear his words and they hear of an impending doom and a disaster, and they're afraid that it's gonna come and it's gonna happen, and on a hope and a prayer, they turn away. And God relents. Mercy shows up. Our God is a God of unrelenting love. And so Jonah says, I knew, I knew this is what would happen. I knew this is what you would do. So just leave me out of it. I'm done. I don't want any part of it. And God asks him, do you do well to be angry? Angry is used five times in chapter four. 
five times. Twice God asked this question, do you do well to be angry? The first time Jonah just walks off. As you see, it says Jonah went out to the city and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. See, if you remember, Jonah's Jonah's one day, he's a third of the way in on a three-day journey of going through Nineveh and preaching. He's one day in, right? He's preaching and he's telling him what's going on and he turns a corner and there posted on the wall is the king's decree to change, to stop being evil and to pray to God. And Jonah takes one look at it and says, I knew this is what you were gonna do. Every time, every time, And Jonah gets mad. And God says, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah walks off. He goes up and he finds a spot where he can can see Nineveh, he can see what happens. So he's in the clearing, he's got got an open view, and it's hot. So he builds himself a booth that he can sit under the shade of the booth. So he chose his spot, he's sitting there, and God then brings this plant. And the plant offers him even more shade. I find that interesting. Jonah already had shade, but then God gives him even more shade. I used to work for, um, in the the funeral industry, I I worked for a vault company. And so we delivered and installed the burial vaults, but we also set up the the funeral tents that are there at the graveside for the, the graveside portion of the services. Uh, they were, the ones we had were kind of a dark blue. And uh, some days, some days it was hot. It was hot. And a, a scorching east wind would have been nice. <laughs> there was no wind, no breeze, dead air, and it was hot. And, and on some of these days, you would set up that tent and and you would go from outside of the tent to walking inside the tent thinking there's some nice shade, but you'd walk in and it was like an oven. All the heat just absorbing into that blue material and it's just sitting there and it just, it got even hotter inside the tent and it didn't make any sense, any sense at all to me. But I noticed through the years of doing this that sometimes, occasionally, On one of these hot days, there would luckily be a tree near the area that I had to set up on. And now standing outside at first, going from the sun to the shade of the tree, some of those hot sweltering days, it didn't make all that much difference either. But yet having the tent then set up underneath the tree, having that double shade, it actually made it tolerable. (laughs) it made it a little bit better. And so I find that interesting here that that God gives him this double shade. And so Jonah's exceedingly glad about this plant. He's happy that that God has done this. He thinks the plant is a good deal. But then as we read on, we see that the plant is then attacked by a worm and it withers and it dies. And Jonah returns to his anger. He returns to his place of contempt. He returns to his position of being upset with God at what he's done and what he's doing because the plant withered away. Now what's interesting here that I want us to really pay attention to is that it can be easily 
thought of that what's upsetting Jonah is that he's lost his comfort. But there's a few things that we need to be keen on. One, Jonah chose the spot. Jonah knew it was going to be hot, and he built himself a shelter to be under anyways. Right? The second thing, and this is probably even, even more poignant, is what God then says to him. He says, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah's angry about the plant, but not because, right, not because of his loss of comfort, like I'm telling you, because what God says next, and this gives, gives insight really true insight into what Jonah's upset about. He says, you pity the plant. Jonah's anger stems from the fact that he pities the plant. He's upset that the plant was destroyed. He's not upset with his loss of comfort. He says, just take me out. I'll be done anyways. I came out here and I chose this spot to look on this city and hoping that you would, you would finally come see things my way, finally come see what needs to happen with Nineveh. But then you do something good, God, and you make, you make a plant grow and take care of your own. And then you just take the plant out. All the meanwhile, the city of Nineveh sitting over here these people who do terrible, monstrous things. There's, there's a thing you can see today even in, in Nineveh. Of a, a, it's kind of like a, a mural thing on a wall where it, it shows, it's in a temple. It shows things that they did back then, different torture techniques that they had. People strapped down and cutting on them and pulling things out of their face, all kinds of crazy stuff. This is what they were. This is what they did. And Jonah's like, you give them mercy, but you take out the plan. Jonah was upset because God is a God of unrelenting love. So from verse one until chapter Four here in verse 10, we see that God's engulfing presence follows in the wake of Jonah's fleeing, that our God is a God of unrelenting love. Now, all we're left now with is in these last few verses, from what we get a picture of is that God's heart, what his heart is. And so we look at what to do in response. What are we to do in response of God's unrelenting love? First, we need to leave our anger behind. Just as God asked Jonah, do you do well to be angry? He's asking us the same thing. Do you do well to be angry? When things don't go your way? When things go away that you think they shouldn't? When it seems like we have a good thing going here, but then God's plan brings about something contrary to what we thought should be the case? Do you do well to be angry? Our family got into a discussion the other night after three of our kids got back from Harvest Students. 
They were uh, asked to uh, consider and contemplate what are questions people ask that keep them from believing in God. And so we kind of brought up the idea that a lot of times, a lot of times those questions are less intellectual and, and more emotional. Something happens in someone's life, some kind of tragedy, some kind of alteration, and they can't come to grips with the fact that God could still be a God who loves, and yet this happens. One of our kids was having a hard time. Just thinking through some of those things. My wife's grandmother passed away this week. She's a grandmother to our children. A great-grandmother. And they were having a hard time with with her passing, with her leaving. Hard time with my wife breaking her leg. Hard time with the things that, that just happen. So we related to them and shared with them a, a story of our, our first child, Peyton. who we lost before was born. And my wife shared about how that has enabled her to be able to minister to other women and other families who go through similar loss. And we also shared how that circumstance brought Larray and I closer together. And it's not that because of our love for one another is so strong that it just grew stronger because of the hardship. It's more like the sailors and that it was a storm. But yeah, God's mercy saw us through it. And God's, through God's mercy, he began stripping away things in us that were causing tensions between us. He was developing pathways of trust with one another. And we began to, to lean on each other more and look to one another and care for one another. And through that, God's mercy changed who we were changed how we looked at things. God's mercy and unrelenting love, it doesn't mean that there's not struggle. It doesn't mean that there's not hardships. It doesn't mean that there's not testing. We read through Jonah, there was still a storm. Jonah was still thrashed by the waves. The Ninevites, they still had to listen to bad preaching. 
the plant. The plant still withered. But do we do well to be angry? The answer is no. So we need to leave our anger behind. But what else do we do in response to God's unrelenting love? We need to bring it with us. We need to be carriers of God's love into the city. We need to be carriers of God's love into the city. God said, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into its being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons, who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. That great city. Contemplative literature. Going back and reading Jonah over and over and we can see that refrain. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And here in chapter 4, he said, Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? And now we start to get a glimpse of what what God tells us, what he means by great city, is that there's 120,000 persons there who do not know their right from their left. Kind of sounds like Jesus on the cross, doesn't it? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. God's looking at Jonah and he's telling him, Jonah, you spent more of your time. You invested more into your effort building yourself a shade and you're upset about the plant. You pity the plant. Should not I, who have invested myself who, in my own creation? These people of Nineveh have done bad things. They've done terrible things, but they're still people that I've created, created to be in my image. So yes, Jonah, I am a God of justice. I am a God who needs things to be right and to be fair but I don't want to always bring the hammer. I would much rather them turn and just look in my general direction and I would run to them, Jonah. I would run to them because I made them, because I love them, because I want better for them. They continue to choose and make bad decisions They grow up and they look to their parents and they think, I can do better than that. And and they they go off in their own direction thinking they they can be new and be better, but they just continue after generation and generation of making the same dumb, stupid choices. They get self centered and they focus only on what they want. 
and they begin to hurt each other and they begin to look at each other as enemies and they think more about their own and protecting their own than trying to be a place where we come together and we grow and we multiply and we do what we're supposed to do in being benevolent, being gracious, being good stewards of what God has given us. But instead we hoard. Instead we become insular and we close in and we think about only what I want, only what I care about, only what I think is right. But God says to Jonah, I want to change them. I want to make them different. I want to pull them into my fold and, and, and recreate them into something new. God called Abraham and said, oh, you will be the father of many nations. And through you, many nations will be blessed. So God pulled his blessing into one man to funnel it through one family so that it would go in one direction and then bless the world because God loves the world. So much so that he gave his only son that whoever believes in his son will not perish but will have life everlasting that it's through Christ that God relents of the curse of death and he restores in us life eternal. The death is no longer permanent, but it's a slumber. It's a slumber where we get to see each other again. And so God cares for Nineveh. God cares for the people because he's their creation and there's a ton of them there. Timothy Keller, he writes this, cities quite literally have more of the image of God per square inch than any other place on earth. How can we not be drawn toward the masses of humanity if we care about the same things that God cares about? God cares about. Just quoted John 3.16. And I've heard people say before, you know, you can you can change you can change the world and you can you can put your name in there. God so loved Johnny. God so loved Susie. That's true that God does love Johnny and Susie, but the verse says the world, and there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it is because whenever people are in a mass, in a group, God's heart grows even more because there's more people there. It's just basic math. (laughs) 
If you really think about it, if, if I'm to put my name in there, if I'm to, to, to be in that place that God loves me, right? And this is, this is theologically inaccurate, so don't, don't get too zealous about this. But if God's supposed to choose between me and a group of people over here, right? He should always choose the group of people. Do you know why? Because if he chooses me, he makes my life more valuable than each and every one of those persons. So yes, God loves each of us, right? God loves each of us, but God doesn't just choose one. There's never been just one except at the beginning, and God said it wasn't good. It's not good that man is alone. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. When they asked him, What's, what is the one commandment that we need to focus on? You know what one commandment he gave? He gave that one and another. He gave two. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like it. They're a package deal. You can't separate it. There's a lot of times I think people think of, you think of vertical, right? You get vertical with God. You, you, you focus in on who God is and what he's supposed to be. The thing of it is, is Jonah had a vertical relationship with God. Jonah was very adamant about praying to God, about talking to God, about being there and connected with God and being able to, to, to do all that things, right? What he had a, an issue with was the horizontal aspect of it. He's so focused in keeping his eyes on God and losing sight of what God's looking at that his vision has become a blank stare. We need to see what God sees. And God looks out and he sees people that he's created. He sees people that he loves. So when God's heart is on people and when there are more people, God's heart grows bigger. So we need to be carriers of God's love into the city. Maybe this is the city aspect. Maybe that's not something you've really considered much. Maybe it's not something that you, you really thought is, shows up much in the Bible and maybe you think I'm kind of stretching it here in Jonah. You might be right. <laughs> but I don't think so. <laughs> there are other places where God mentions the city, there are other places where God mentions this idea of where people are gathered, that he wants his people there. Jeremiah 29, four through seven. If you wanna write that reference down, you can look it up later. Jeremiah 29, four through seven. This is just one of them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. God wants them to go. God wants them to remain his people. God wants them to, to, to be who they are, but to do it in such a way that they're a blessing 
to where they live. They're a blessing to the city that they're in. They're a blessing to the people that live around them and that they're to seek their welfare. And here in Jonah, God reveals his heart as to why. It's because our God is a God of unrelenting love. And we need to be carriers of that love into the city. And just as in Nineveh, there were people who did not know what they were doing. They didn't understand. They didn't know that the choices that they were making were leading them to paths of destruction. We have towns and we have a city here of people full of not knowing God, not knowing the choices that they're making are leading to destruction. And they need the gospel. They need the hope of Christ. So Harvest Decatur, we need to be carriers of God's gospel into the city. Pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you for your heart. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, I know me personally, I have made choices that have brought about disastrous effects on my life. I'm sure there's many here, my brothers and sisters, who could say the same. But Lord, I also have the sense that there are things that just have happened. Thank you for using those times to change, to change us. Thank you for using the the time that this church has been here. Thank you for using our pastor, Tony, to preach your word in season and out of season. To feed the sheep. Lord, we ask that you increase our hearts. We ask that you give us a passion and a desire to see what you see. Grow our hearts to be like yours. That when we look out, we don't see conflict. We don't see people that we need to argue with. We don't see people that we need to to convince but we see people that need your mercy, Lord. And they need your truth. And for right now, they are prisoners and they need to be set free as you have set us free, Lord. Empower us and help us in this work and in all of it, may we glorify you and honor your name and be faithful to the calling that you've given us to make disciples, 
to baptize them in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is in your powerful, your true, your one right name, Lord Jesus, that we pray to our mighty God. Amen.